0: to start off, I like a lot of, like, summery escapist fiction. This, like, classic idea of the New England summer, where you travel to a summer house on an island. And I am absolutely not saying that everyone in New England does it, but it's kind of like the upper crusty to upper middle class idea of a New England summer vacation. Like, traveling to a summer house, or in a cabin by the lake, or going to camp for the summer. And it was never a thing I did. I mean, I've spent a lot of time outdoors, but it was always with my family, never, like, sent away to camp for long periods of time. So I enjoy summary fiction with these elements since it's so foreign to me. Way on out past the city limits sun, there's a mason jar strawberry wine. Locked up in a cupboard, hidden from a lover, The sweat beneath the covers of some other woman's arms in the leaves. Flash like sparks in the headlights. somewhere else and end up doing nothing on a saturday night
1: and we dance that's till the words run out by singer-songwriter josh nolan off his album fair city lights which you can purchase off itunes and also find a link in our show notes and the voice you heard before that was the host of the indoors women who were not talking about stand by me but they did briefly mention it as being now and then with dudes which needs to immediately go on the 4k re-release of this rob Reiner classic you should definitely check out their podcast as it kicked off our conversation today on not only Stand By Me, but our expectations for summer movie season and what has been lacking of late. I'm Michael Denniston of Projecting Film, and joining me is Hiro of the True Bromance Film Podcast, and this is Mark as Played. It's
0: like we've got the house to but still she stood there waiting like she knew what was right, and she danced on. 12 going on 13 the first time I saw a dead human being. It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time ago, but only if you measure in terms of years. I was living in a small town in Oregon called Castle Rock. There were only 1,281 people, but to me, it was the whole world.
1: All right, so stand by me, Uh, I have to admit, Hiro, that I like a lot of, uh, in particular, 80s classics... Uh, i I had not seen this film or at least if I had seen it it had just been parts of it so i'm I'm actually coming at this probably from the opposite point of view of most people and that I don't have any particular nostalgia for this film seeing it as a child uh, nor do I have any particular nostalgia for uh 80s classics which a lot of our fellow podcasters share and there are a lot of people who don't do movie podcasts have a great enthusiasm for because that sort of fits our age demographic uh at least i think so i don't know how old you are in particular but i think i think you're in that 80s baby window right
2: yeah i'm, I'm right about there yeah
1: i, I, I like how vague you are in your answer right about there somewhere could be 70s I mean, 60s i'm getting to
2: the point where uh where It it gets a little awkward, especially when you're dealing with social media and podcasts and stuff, and everybody's in their teens and stuff like that. And I'm in here, you know, with my walker and my cane, Mm. trying to hang out with the young kids. So you know, I just you know, I'm right there in the in the '80s age. But uh, your ignoring of '80s classics is going to uh, to rile my my uh, co-host Barry, who I think only watches '80s films.
1: It, it, to me, it was a it was a rough decade uh, as far as films, and there are certain ones. I, I think the issue for for me is uh, I always mention on my other podcasts like the the TNT test, uh, and so a lot of these films just get that that replay uh, value. I don't know what sort of deals they have in the the secondary markets, but. I feel like I've seen Stand by Me, but actually, having watched it, I realized no, I had not. I like there are certain highlights, like the the sort of the train sequence, uh, the boys trying to avoid uh, death. But uh, other than that, I, I didn't really know the the story too well. Other than it's a Stephen King film that he's actually proud of, which I guess are few and far between. So, uh, what's your experience with Stand by Me? Um, so I tweeted out when
2: I started watching this again is that I think the last time that I saw this, I was the age of the kids in the in the film. It's been a very, very long time since I saw it, but I do have fond memories of it, and I think that those memories are interesting when we're discussing this film, and if we even talk t- touch on the nostalgia aspect of it is the perception, how we perceive the film, viewing it from a child's perspective, and then how we, we perceive the film or how we connect with the film now that we're adults. I mean, uh, for me, I have kids and such, so I, I do see it a little bit different uh, looking back at that time of my life but also you know at a time when america is being sort of idealized or american youth is being idealized the way it is in this film you know the the very outdoorsy kids doing things when uh you know your parents would say okay go play for the whole day and and and, you know you'd be gone from sunrise to sunset or whatever whereas now i mean you can't do that at all you end up uh you know Abducted or something or something or other, you know, that doesn't happen these as much these days, at least not in my neck of the woods. But yeah, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So it was like coming at it new because I do have different perspective. I'm looking at it from more of, uh, the old man's point of view versus the young, the young guy's point of view. But, um, yeah, that, saying that's that you're Richard Drakis,
1: you're, you're a dead ringer yes. for him. I, I
2: get you. Yeah, yeah I, I am complete with the squirrely voice <laughs> and the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the hatred of sh- the love of sharks. <laughs> God, that's insulting. <laughs> I saw that. I met that guy in person once, and he's not a good-looking man.
1: I I can't. Uh, you know, I don't have your your Mike Tyson. Uh, no, it's OJ Simpson. I'm, I'm getting my uh, my fellow uh, celebrity criminals wrong. I don't. I don't have uh, golfing buddies like you. I don't want to brag, but I've met them both. So, no, Mike oh, Tyson
2: and uh, OJ Simpson. Yeah, and, and Richard Dreyfus.
1: Apparently, uh, the trifecta, yes. the, the the holy Trinity there. Um, I thought, you know, honestly, bringing up Richard Drives, I thought I was going to have some issues with it because, uh, you just pointed out looking back at something from an old man's perspective. And, you know, I don't really like the, the bookend structure of this film because it's clearly going to be looking at something, uh, with rose colored glasses. And I, I think, I feel like it's one of those things that even though the, the times have changed, uh, it's trying to, tell a story that everyone probably has at least one of these types of stories. Uh, They have one sort of, you know, little venture or something they've built up in their mind with their, their old friends. And, you know, sometimes those things work, but other times, you know, it's just something that is so personal to the, the author, the creator, or the person telling the story that it doesn't hold that much interest to the person, you know, the, the audience here, and right. I have to admit it, you know, I don't think the film really did hold my attention that much. Like, I don't, but it's interesting, like, cause it's, it's something that really is just performance based. I think in particular, the, the child actors here are, are great. Uh, River Phoenix in particular, uh, I think is, is awesome. And if it was a little bit depressing watching, watching him and, you know, if you had seen it when the film came out, um, back in the, the, the summer, of was it eighty five, eighty six this came out? Eighty six it came out. Yeah, you, know, you would think, okay, this this kid's gonna become a, a giant movie star. So that, that was a little it was tinged with a little bit of sadness there that uh obviously the film could not have predicted and was not intentional. But it is it is obviously meandering. You know, it's it's these kids that are just trying to get into something. Uh and a little bit of it is forced, certainly. Like it's it's got that that idea that this is just an average day, but they're each going to uh, express things that they had not previously expressed to their friends. They're going to reveal right. things about each other. And sometimes I think sometimes that works. And then sometimes you feel like, okay, now it's this kid's turn to, to have his moment of catharsis. Uh, and it it's just totally like a good, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just gonna say it's, it's totally reliant on the, the actor themselves as far as like right. how much that hits home. Um, I don't know if it, it's incredibly well-written, but they did, they cast this extremely well. I, I agree with that. Um, I
2: will say that it does have a breakfast club feel to it mm-hmm. where each one has his moment to express his thing like you were saying. Um, whereas, um, uh, gosh, Corey, Corey Feldman. I, I was getting confused with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. I wasn't sure which one I was going to bring up. How at dare the time you. The time. <laughs> Rest in peace, Corey Haim. But, uh, you know, he's got his issues with his father and – yeah, uh, Will Wheaton's character has the issues with the death of his brother and also with his father. You know, kind of being the least favorite son. Um, and but I think that when you mention that the movie is a bit meandering, um, I think that that might have been intentional. You know, especially when you're talking about children of you know, that age, where they, you know, they are meandering. They they're just flighty kids. You know, they they kind of. I to me it fits. It fits that aesthetic and that style fits what kind of kids do um and and sort of that almost nostalgic look at or I keep saying nostalgic but that you know wistful look at 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 that age where you could be happy in that meandering sort of life like carefree and 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 doing that kind of stuff and at the same time you know bringing through some of your issues like in a forced sort of way I guess because you know, suddenly this turns into an episode of The View or something where everybody's just spewing out their heart. When I mean, as a kid, I don't remember being that way. You know, I, I don't remember like wistfully talking about or, or, um, you know, seeking solace in the arms of another, uh, friend or something like that. But, uh, it almost you know, works sure better as if, like that.
1: as if, as if this is some sort of, uh, you know, combination of of things that that happened uh, if this is not a step-by-step uh, recreation of that particular day uh, if this is the adult uh, dreyfus the adult Hyro looking back at his friends and piecing together different memories from different days because otherwise it does feel it feels too much like movie magic but that's kind of what you know i want to talk about with you is uh, this is this is held up as like a a all-time summer classic and as you've said right. about nostalgia really and that seems to be where summer movie season has gone that we are just releasing things that you have seen before in some other fashion uh be it something like you know Spider-Man has come back for his his third summer movie appearance with uh, a reboot or a new casting and you know that was that was a big hit this summer, in particular with with families. Um, is you know is that where we are with with summer movies now that you know we're not going to have a Stand by Me, which is about nostalgia, but it is its own thing, and instead going to have properties that we have seen before, and it's just going to trigger those memories of you know seeing Spider Man with uh, your old buddy or, or getting to introduce it to your children. As a father, where where do you stand on summer movie season? being so close as far as regurgitating those properties
2: well in my parenthood i use summer movie season as uh as a break from reality where i could just plop the kids down in front of the next minions
1: movie (laughs) minion six and for so you're the problem that's what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can play on my phone for two hours and quiet this this national nightmare
2: (laughs) um so you know (laughs) it's interesting you that we're talking about this um you know I was listening to a a podcast from uh, Podstalgic where uh, Peter, our good friend, he had on a guest, uh, Gerald of the Two Ps on a podcast. And he went into a a, a very kind of nostalgic look at this movie. I mean, he holds it up as one of his like top five of all time.
3: It's (laughs) it's interesting that you say that, though, because one of the things I love about movies like Stand By Me, Stand By Me is probably, first of all, I should tell everyone, it's probably like in my top ten of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, just one of my most favorite, it was one of the first movies that when I was actually 12 or 13, I was, I want to say I was 12 when I saw it for the first time, that's when I really started caring about movies. And it was one of those first ones that I, that I saw during that point in my life. But you were mentioning your son and what I love about movies like this. My son's almost four. Mm -hmm. Um, but stand by me, uh, the sandlot, for example, um, maybe the Goonies, Like I can't wait till he's old enough to really like enjoy those films, and I get to show those to him and kind of introduce those to him. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like those three in particular really kind of stand the test of time. Also, they they play just as well today as they did in the '80s, and uh, I know *Sandlot* was late '90s. But um, so it's interesting that you say that because I can't wait like another maybe nine, ten years, and I'm gonna be like, all right, son. We're having a movie marathon with all these coming of age films, you know. So, Stand by Me will definitely be on the top of the list when that rolls around.
2: And the thing that kind of uh, piqued my interest was that he was saying that he wanted to show this to his kids when his kids got of the right age. And I, I, I could see his point of view, but at the same time, as from you asking me about my parenthood aspect, I don't know if I would do that because I don't think that this would re- really relate to kids as well as it does an adult. I mean, I understand the point of view of nostalgia that came on the 80s, and he probably grew up with the film, but I think that he's, it, from what it sounded like in the conversation, he, it sounded like he was going with, he, he sees like life lessons in this movie, or things that the kids would enjoy, and and while I I, I, I very much admire that, and I, I, I kind of appreciate that, that aspect of nostalgia, there's the flip side of nostalgia that you're talking about, where, you know the film movie season or all that stuff is built on on preying on nostalgia. Like it's been bastardized and morphed, and that's kind of where we're at. And I'm pretty outspoken about being frustrated with that within uh, the movie cycle. Um, you brought up the obvious examples of the comic book movies and then things of that nature, but we've also got books. You know the Harry Potter series, and you know it is coming out uh, another Stephen King joint, much as like uh, Stand by Me is. I'm glad you um, brought
1: that up it, because when what you were just saying I was thinking about it and it feels like it, from what I know of it because we're recording this uh at least in the states I think the the day of its release or it comes out you know tonight at seven and I've read that they've updated the uh the timeline to be an eighties movie so the, the where originally I believed that the kids that this was happening in the fifties or sixties um yeah. and so this they would have been peers of the the stand by me kids and that uh, that's probably something, you know, talking about uh, the Podstalgic episode that you're referencing, uh, where I would think the kids, if they want to see something, they would probably gravitate towards it over Stand By Me, like if, if given their the choice. And obviously it is a scary movie and this Stand By Me is a little bit weepy. Um, but I, I think that that's, that's what you have to do. You kind of have to move the, the goalposts just a little bit and get it closer uh, to these newer generations. I I really don't know if they're going to – as you're saying, if they're going to identify with kids who don't are, – are so far removed from what their daily experiences are as far as technology and how, how kids interact. I mean kids are just far more adult now uh, than then. Like I, I just – like some of the uh, the interactions – Uh, Because I listened to that, that Podzelljic episode, and they, they open with a clip where the, the, the insults that the kids use with each other. Oh, God Almighty. I don't, I think, I think the kids now would be rolling their eyes at at that. I I don't know if they, I don't know if they could get into the humor of, of the film more. They may be able to get in the drama. I'll give them that much credit.
2: Yeah. That, that is definitely one thing that I noticed is, is their interaction is definitely a a time capsule. And it, 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 there's an expiration date on stuff like that. You know that I don't know. Like you're saying, I don't think that that would play. You know, maybe they'd be you know sending Snapchats or something at each other, insulting each other, or trolling each other on whatever the social media. I guess Instagram is is that what the kids are doing these days? I don't know.
1: We're gonna Uh, date ourselves with this episode because it'll it'll move on to something else quickly.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It'll. Are we going to talk about uh, MySpace or something like that? and Just really like set it back in time. Sure,
1: we can go totally retro. We can pull a, a J.J. Abrams here on our podcast and, and glorify the days of MySpace. I guess. Well, there you go. I, yeah, I don't. I, I think of something like uh, summer movie season. That, you know, we probably are, are bemoaning, that, especially with the superhero genre and and just sort of geek properties taking it over. Um, it gives you it gives you a good reason to be a cheerleader for something like Stand by Me uh which is uh, a melodrama in certain respects it's a you know character study about these these young men but you know it, it's something where i wonder if the people in the 80s you know were they talking about Jesus Christ in another Indiana Jones movie and that's something you know for us you know growing up with it um, that's something we really, you know, we, I, I came in late to it, you know, so, but I think the first one I saw in theaters was the third one, uh, the last crusade, which, uh, the internet agrees the is one. the best one. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, to put yourself back in that place where, uh, there were probably people coming into the eighties saying like the, the seventies were so great and this is all shit. Now look at this, look at what star Wars and jaws has done to the film industry. And I, you know, I just wonder if, uh, when the superhero movies die out, hopefully, uh, if there are going to be a new generation of kids that look back at that that wave uh, this this past decade with with great uh, wonder, as far as that represented their their youth, and we're we're, we're the, the yeah. old men yelling at the at the the clouds in the sky.
2: <laughs> you think that uh, p- the kids today are going to look back at the superhero timeline and be nostalgic about it? Is that what you're saying?
1: It's possible. Like, I'll, here's one. Like my my youngest brother Sawyer was. Um, I don't even know if he was in school yet when um, the Phantom Menace came out, Star Wars Episode One, and he fucking loved it. He loved the the pod racing sequence. You know, he laughed at Jar Jar Binks. Like he didn't. He didn't look at that. Obviously, like being exposed to it, I believe that was probably his first Star Wars movie. He didn't look at this as some sort of travesty that this had, had murdered his youth because he's living his youth for the very first time. And so he has very fond memories of it. I don't think he like plays you know Star Wars movies all the time. I don't think it, it made him the same type of fan as the ones from the late '70s, early '80s. But you know, he does not. He does not have that cynicism uh in regards to the 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 prequels like a lot of film snobs do now are people who grew up with the originals do, so I, I think you know it just depends,
2: poor Sawyer man getting his <laughs> dirty laundry aired out here on on Marcus play my god
1: well i'm uh, I'm not even shaming him because i i uh I didn't think the the prequels were the greatest things in the world, but i i you know i caught them I was a teenager when they started to come out. And I watched them and I enjoyed them and thought like, well, those are not as good as the originals. Um, but I I felt like I got my money's worth as far as going to the movies that summer afternoon. And I sort of left it at that, which I, I do think is probably better than uh, writing page long rants about how that or Ghostbusters has, has ruined your life. So it's just a matter of perspective. I'm trying to insult as many people as possible is what I'm getting out here. I
2: see that. And you just come right after the family first, man. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Poor guy, man. I mean, outing outing him for his uh, Jar Jar Binks tattoo.
1: Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate placement too on his body.
2: Hopefully you – educated him when you guys got out of the theater that he was there's was something wrong with him you know for being that enthusiastic like, no I, 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 did, I
1: let him i let him ha- you know let him enjoy it let him have it i mean Jesus. What am I, yeah um see so you don't think you think do you think these these recent years this this summer movie season do you do you find any of them to be particular classics in that regard and uh, avoiding like the, the the sundance uh stuff like the big sick which is aiming at a very okay, different audience
2: you're 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 hedging me here. You're, you're clipping me at the well, knees before I go to answer my question.
1: No, I'm well. I'm just trying to say, you know, those have very different aims. You know, the big sit could have come out in October. Uh, right, could have come out in spring. Anything that is aspiring to be a populist uh, summer movie season blockbuster. Do you think any of them have been successful that you can see down the line being something held up as a classic of summer movie season, like Stand by Me, is for people.
2: Um. And by the way, let's not forget that Stand by Me is an adaptation of a book, so you know it's not it's it preys right into the hey, this is an existing property, let's make it uh, scenario. Although it's it's a little little different there when you're, I mean, books have been adapted to the to the screen since you know the dawn of film. But um, I mean, you kind of put me here in, in a disadvantage because there's so many movies that come out. We have so many theaters and so many releases every week that you know we're bombarded with them, and and some do hit. Um, you know what? I think John wick will be looked back on in, uh, in high esteem, you know, especially from a, a cult perspective, because I, I don't think I've run into a person that can actively say that they dislike John wick, but I have run into a lot of people that absolutely love it. And, you know, even though, you know, people aren't turning out in droves for it, like they are for the Marvel films or for the DC properties, uh, people de- uh, definitely love John wick. I think that John wick, especially, I think it's going to age. Well, I think, uh, there's just some simplicity in that film that's going to age well. There's not a lot of nonsense going on. It's 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 clear cut. Fighting is fighting, and and guns are guns, and they're always going to be around. But I think that it ha- it it that's one of those films I think it can just live on, you know, and and be looked back on fondly.
1: See, that's I'm I'm going to be uh, the the dork that's calling a uh, you know a foul on you because you know John Wick came out. I think the first one oh, came out in like my. October. Uh, and then the second one, the sequel, uh, which I, I, I somewhat agree with you because I feel like John Wick is an old-fashioned hit in the sense that they made the first one and then they actually waited to see if people dug it and responded to it before they decided to uh, branch out and explore the world further. I mean it's almost like you – know, I think of John Wick and John Wick 2 is like Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2. You know, If people had not liked Lethal Weapon 1, there would be no Lethal Weapon 2. They were not already filming or planning to film seven you know, pieces of the story with these right. characters. Yeah. But it's interesting. You bring that one up because where the first one came out in late October and the second one sometime in the spring of this year, February, um, which is
2: the modern summer. Let's be honest. It's the modern well, summer. It the is, summer but starts it's like, like in February
1: somewhat. Yeah. Cause you have stuff like Kong, uh, coming out in March. That seems like that would be a summer movie. Uh, the great Kingsman came out earlier in the year. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to touch on that. um, <laughs> But those films, like John Wick, is something that you look at it and it feels like a summer movie. You know, it's it, as you said, it's a lot of there's a lot of gun fights, gun fu. I think is what they were sort of like calling it, like just sort of in a, That's what the kids in some, call it. Yeah, and but that was something that they clearly uh, did not feel comfortable releasing, at least the first one, in the midst of summer movie season, where you would expect those type of action properties to hit. Because as you you kind of got into a stand by me. It was not a particular IP that people would have been aware of. You know, John Wick had to grow based on word of mouth and people going to see it and telling other people to watch it and people discovering on video or iTunes or what have you. And so it is a bit depressing. And I'm trying to think of something that came out this past summer that had that sort of natural spark. And I don't know if there was one that that got that particular response that was that big i know dunkirk was actually was a really big hit bigger than i anticipated for being a war movie but that still had in some respects it's still the nolan name that sort of propped it up but yeah i don't, I don't know if there was just a sort of what i would consider an, a throwback action movie uh without being based on a comic book or a previous property that 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 blew up in that way and i guess it's just because they're scared to compete with the you know yeah during the summer months
2: it, well the dollar does drive everything right so i mean these are safe bets or safer bets, even though, um, as you kind of gleefully r- remind us very often, that a lot of sequels kind of dropped the ball this year, like they just fell fell to the wayside. Um, the did the War for the Planet of the Apes thing make a lot of money. I don't know. Uh, I think
1: it dropped off dramatically from the uh, previous previous two. So I, there were there were a lot of you know Transformers finally fell. Uh, so yeah, there was oh, like there were a lot of and misses or five here, of them or something. Yeah,
2: um, I'll say this, man. Um, I think that there is a place for remakes and, and pr- existing properties and stuff like that, and nostalgia is a good thing. I mean, people should be able to you know view what they want to do. You know, that's fine. But I, I think that
1: when does nostalgia work? When when it, on the on if we're going to take that positive side of the coin, when do you think it's implemented best? In in film or or TV where it's like – where name-checking, referencing things actually lends something to like its own identity.
2: I think think it's more in the hands of the viewers to be honest with you, man. I mean there has to be some sort of flexibility in the viewers to say it doesn't have to be X, Y, Z from the book or the the previous version. I think that the filmmaker should be allowed to create something new out of an idea – so, for instance, um, let's, t- let's say Man of Steel. You know, Man of Steel is Superman is a is a very you know beloved property. But you know, th- the great Zack Snyder comes through and he. Try- <laughs> he I
1: tries just want to thank to our listeners little- uh, who are now checking out. Uh, I'm Michael Denniston. <laughs> you can find my other podcasts uh, at Projecting Film <laughs> and at Grand Gesture Pod. Uh, please check those out uh, before you uh, you Marcus played this this episode of Marcus played.
2: So I'm being a little facetious, you know, but there is an attempt to do something a, a slightly different with <laughs> Superman. There, right? I mean, he, he darkened him up or made him a little more modern in his mopiness and his, you know, his thoughts and stuff like that. At least the guy tried to do something different. I think that works for at least for me. That film worked. It didn't work so much when they're yelling about Martha in the next one, but um, in Man of Steel, it really worked for me. Um, I, I mean, there. I think that there has to be. An infusion of creativity into the existing property. At least that's from my vantage point.
1: I, I think the the issue with like, in particular, the the DC uh, movies is that um, it's not that they you know their their approach. I think was probably sound uh, in that they were saying, "Hey, we're going to we're going to do the same thing Marvel has done successfully, but we're going to give it a different bent." Uh, clearly, they were aiming to go darker, and as you said, there was a certain Moodiness, uh, almost sort of adolescent moodiness to their films, uh, where they were they decided they were not going to be goofy, and silly, and um, yeah, the Man of Steel reaction, uh, you know, financially it did very well, but you know the response was not it was not beloved because we have yet to get another Superman movie uh, out of it, um, and then you had you know, Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, and uh, Suicide Squad is sort of an interesting case because it was one that. People – I mean it made a lot of money. People really loved the trailers, which were clearly very different from what the filmmakers had intended, which were selling something that was a fun late summer movie. And it's it's weird. I've, I have to admit I've not seen Wonder Woman uh, this summer, which I guess was um, the, the sort of big hit uh, this year as far yes. as uh, fan reaction. Um, I haven't brought it up because clearly it's based on another IP, but it is the first Wonder Woman feature we've got. Um I'm assuming you've seen Wonder Woman, correct?
2: I have seen Wonder Woman, and I thought it was okay. I mean, it was uh, it was definitely carved from the same rock that all of the other films, are, all the other superhero films are carved from. You hit a lot of the same beats, same tropes. Did you uh, not notice a, a different- shift
1: from DC? Like, the, were they clearly trying to go with sort of a different direction from the the darker stuff they'd released in the first three movies?
2: Um, yeah, th- there's definitely a lot more comic relief in there. And I think that for me personally, that's where I had the problem. It was just so much comic relief. Um, they in- in- injected this character of human Bremner, uh, from train spotting dude and he's just all over the place. And it just doesn't fit. I mean, I'm all for some levity, but they're, it's just, I think. I think it was just injected poorly there, and it just it, it becomes a little tedious, in my opinion. But the movie, the movie's okay. It's it's not a bad film, but I do see the difference. I, I do see them, at least in that film, trying to go in the, in a lighter fashion.
1: I I just wanted on the record that you're a huge Man of Steel fan and uh, a hater of Wonder Woman. So, do you want to pimp out your podcast before we move on?
2: Actually, I have a question for you before we move on. <laughs> Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say – True
1: bromance film. I just want to remind listeners. That's where you can find more of these these opinions. But yeah, go ahead. Your question. My,
2: Michael Denniston is now running uh, <laughs> running uh, projecting film studios. You guys have gotten so big. So many people downloaded your podcast. and I think 11 just, You know, you've at got, this point.
1: I think 11 is what we're at as far as the number. You,
2: you've got uh, – uh Chris Maynard up in the in, in the office sitting there like mm-hmm. boss hog with his hat on uh, sure. like a big plate of fried foods in front of him saying mm-hmm. uh yeah well, I'll authorize any movie what intellectual property would you put on film something that that, that hasn't been up there yet what, what's the property you want to see uh
1: like so just following the uh the sort of the, the system where we're we're sort of uh bemoaning now, uh, of, of using a previous IP and That's and right. having some sort of, um, I would like to, I actually, I'm going to reuse an answer. So I, I don't know the episode. This is probably years ago, but, uh, th- this came up on your show, the true bromance film podcast, um, where we were talking about similar things. And I brought up a uh, James Elroy's series of books, which up to this point, there have been a few adaptations, but only one out of this particular series, which was very Mad Men-esque. Um, so L.A. Confidential is the one that they've adopted out of his, his quartet. They call it the L.A. Quartet. And uh basically it looks at uh, Los Angeles crime through like 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um And so you have some of the same detectives are in it. Obviously, you know, younger and then older. And I think that would be cool. Um something like that probably would gear more towards television, unfortunately now, but you know, LA confidential, uh, that's actually kind of an interesting question. Cause yeah, that was a very successful film. And back then they didn't immediately think like, Oh, there's more of these books. Let's, let's dive back right. into it. It was treated as a solo thing. Uh, and I certainly as a fan, you know, fanboy of that series would have been down for it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it did not happen. And maybe that, that could be just the practical nature. Maybe the, the right to each individual individual book were sold to different studios. I don't know. Yeah, that would be the one. That would, I think that would be cool, and I don't know how much appeal it would have to people, but I would I would actually retract all my superhero statements if I could get my uh, L.A. Quartet on the screen. I would I'd be I down for I think it would
2: be you and a bunch of white hairs in the theater for this
1: film. Um, I mean that's the same experience I had with the big sick. That Those are the people supporting you know, independent film. Every time I go to my local art house, it's a bunch of senior citizens. So uh, God love them. That's a good point. Yeah.
2: That's a good point. The when I went to see Big Sick, there was a couple that were probably about 50 years old. Uh, and, and we had the like really nice reclining chairs. I mean, the lights hadn't even gone down and he had actually rolled over on top of her and was, uh, rounding third base there. So, uh, nice. Yeah. The uh, apparently the Big Sick really got, uh, really got him moving, or at least the, the trailers before the Big Sick got him moving. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah. I hope it's not the Big Sick because
1: I don't, I don't consider that to be a particularly, you know, amorous affair. Uh, that film because one of them is in a coma for most of it. I don't know. Neon Demon fans maybe would dig it.
2: Do you think any films on an Amorous affair? You've got the darkest heart I know. I mean,
1: maybe I don't know. They you know they used to have sex in films. I don't. I don't know. Uh, they've kind of moved away from it, but I guess an upside down Spider Man Mary Jane kiss is the best we get now. I, I don't know. Well,
2: would you have found it more amorous if uh, Kamal and was looking at his Apple Watch counting the? Uh, counting the strokes the heartbeats <laughs> the strokes per minute <laughs> was that right Did he hit the mark with the old michael Denniston?
1: <laughs> one day uh david fincher is going to make a great film about uh apple watch and sex and uh i'll be down for it that's the one that's the ip i want to commission is uh that technology used in uh in uh, sexual encounters
2: I want to see David Fincher's Apple Watch and the Red Sox uh, film. That's what I want to see. Yeah,
1: I don't know if he's a big sports guy, but I'd be down for that too. Um, we, I'm, I, you know, we have totally lost our listen. Now we're talking about sports, and that that is like oh, the yeah. death call for for movie podcasts. So, that's, that's uh, a good point. J- just to, just to get us back and sort of you know wrap up this discussion on Stand by Me in particular, do you do you feel like a film like this is truly something that should be identified as an old summer? Classic, or is it? Is it an outlier? Is it something that you know was not really being made that much then? It's just that it's something that people look back on when they think of like '80s movies, and they're like, "Oh, those were great then." Because I, as I said, I admit I'm not. I'm not really a big '80s movie guy, so I, I have no real opinion on this. I just know this is held up as like a gold standard uh, of that time period in the movies that they were making.
2: I guess I'll take it from my perspective. I can only speak for myself. Is from my experience, I really – I mean I saw it back then and I enjoyed it. I looked at it reasonably fondly but I never had the the desire to come back to it and I think that when you hang the, the moniker of classic on something, man, you got to like want to go back and see it again at least and I, I just never had that. I mean … I think a movie has its place, you know, in, in in nostalgia world. But I don't know if I'd I'd call it a you know summer movie classic. I mean, you know, going back to our friends over at Potstalgic, you know, they they talk about the Sandlot a little bit and how that's I was film thinking that is,
1: one, yeah,
2: yeah, where that film is a summer classic for them. Again, I visited that film this year for the first time, and I, I absolutely hated every second of it. But I could see. You know, maybe watching it when I was a kid and then coming back to it, then that would be something different. I mean, but as for Stand By Me, I don't, I don't think so, man. I mean, I just, I think it's one of those movies we like the idea of more than the film itself.
1: Yeah, The Sandlot was one because I, I remember being exposed to that one on. VHS a lot as a kid, like it was like in school, like when the teachers wanted to have you know the afternoon off and it was like movie day, like, you know, getting into the summer months, you're getting ready to be let off school. Uh, I remember that one being, you know, uh, a class favorite and played multiple times. And it, some of that stuff really sticks with you. Uh, and as you said, it's, it's just the, I remember this, uh, is really what's working in your brain more than I enjoyed this. Because I I don't know what my response was as a kid if I genuinely sought it out I just know it was kind of shoved down my throat much like the minions are being shoved down your poor children's throat just just saying hey sit here and be quiet for two hours um, I, I don't know I I do think I think Stand by Me probably has a little bit more appeal than something like Sandlot because its aims are certainly more adult but I was I was looking at some of the initial you know the initial reviews for it were not uh, glowing uh, it was a, a box office hit but you know some people really took Reiner's task for it being, you know, sort of um, overly dramatized, and and those some somewhat after school special beats that he hits, but I also think that he that's probably that's Stephen King too. If you've read any of his stuff, he he seems to really um, glorify like in particular the childhood emotions and and those memories that come back to him that particular time in his life. So. Um, I don't know, but yeah, Sand by Me or Sandlot and Stand by Me are kind of good comparison points in that that regard because I don't I don't know if an adult now could just pick up something like The Sandlot and be like, Hey, this is a good movie. Stand by Me, no, maybe I could I could see it because it definitely has it gear it leans itself to a more adult perspective,
2: right? It's it definitely has it, it it does a better job of looking back looking looking back into itself where Sandlot does have a little aspect of that. Yeah, you know, I think at the end, you know, there's a little bit of a thing, but it doesn't hang its hat on that.
1: No, you're it you're in that world on with those kids. Once you go back into those moments, right. you don't feel like an adult is like thinking back to his memories. You just feel like okay, now we're we're back to youth and baseball games and uh trying to make out with a lifeguard at the pool. Like that's type of shenanigans. Um Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't feel like we have any particular conclusions. I, d- I think that, you know, a little bit off mic, we were talking and you, you sort of brought up the point that, uh, this, this conversation could very well continue, uh, leading, uh, into it, which will presumably be, uh, the film that we kind of use as a, the leaping off point to look at what other movie podcasts are discussing. Cause I think it's going to play on nostalgia much in the same way. I think stranger things did with that sort of kids in a, uh, eighties, you know, horror setting. I th- I think that, um, I'd read here in my cursory research that uh, Stranger Things, you know, definitely uh, name check. They're they're definitely a part of that that Stand By Me uh, fandom. Those those creators here. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see it. Like it's sort of the snake eating itself now that they're going to remake an '80s film and make it make it more like a Netflix series that was regurgitating all the '80s references. I knew
2: it was coming, man. Oh, there it was. (laughs)
1: <laughs> as God, you can tell, I'm you... I'm really excited to see It tonight <laughs> with that on the brain. Oh. Just, um, I think what this podcast is going to do is it's going to make people less interested in seeing movies, which I think that's really the point of movie podcasts, right? You've just – you've heard we'll, enough of it.
2: We'll pep it up in the future episodes or maybe some of the other co-hosts will, will jump in and be a little more positive towards film. I'll say this about It, man. I'm the target audience for sure on this. We'll, just to kind of touch back on nostalgia, I read the book like three times as a kid um and I watched the movie and I, I, at the time I thought it was pretty good and looking back on it, I see it's obvious flaws. It's hot mess, but I do have a, a, a nostalgic look at that book. I, I loved that book as a kid. Um, so when I heard that it was coming out and then all these trailers that come out, just the style that was used for it. it, it feels like they've really refreshed at least the look of it and, and trying to capture sort of the, the dread and some of that stuff that's, that was really uh, prevalent in the book. So I'm definitely the target audience for, for it. So, you know, just to kind of, I guess, like you say, snake eating itself, you know, all this bitching and moaning I did about people only wanting to see their, their, their IPs up on the screen. Here I am ready to just chew up, uh, chew up it tonight.
1: You know, the snake eating itself would not be a bad podcast logo for this, this Marcus played. Cause that's, that's exactly what we're doing with our, our format here. <laughs> That's so a good idea. We, yeah. are, we are no better, uh, obviously, uh, but you've made it uh, this far into the discussion. You already know that. So uh, before we leave off, uh, Hiro, you want to tell people, uh, you know, your main podcast where you can normally be found, other than uh, on Marcus played as part of the the negative pair of co-hosts that you and I represent.
2: <laughs> the, the, the two grumpy old man at yeah. the top of the Muppets uh, yep. balcony, just <laughs> yelling and spewing hate. Um, yeah, I'm uh, the best half of the True Romance Film Podcast. On uh, most days, I uh, you can find us at True Romance. If you Google that, it'll come up. It'll you know we're on all your players, iTunes, Stitcher, all that nonsense. But uh, True Romance Film Podcast, uh, you can find us on the Google.
1: And I'm uh, on Projecting Film as uh, one half. It's a, a basically a Diet Coke version of a previous podcast I did called War Machine versus War Horse. And, uh, basic premise is, uh, we, we take an independent film that you probably are not thinking about is definitely not going to be it. And, uh, we try to pitch it to you with, uh, two more well-known films, uh, to give you an idea without spoiling it, uh, what this new, uh, piece of independent film, uh, is about. So the first episode was on the vault, uh, starring James Franco, which is a bank heist. And, uh, we, 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 we threw out a, a lot of different movies that this is, uh, sort of a combination of. So if you want to check that out, it's on uh, followingfilms.com. And uh, you can go to, I believe, projectingfilm.podbean.com at this point. So, yeah, at Projecting Film. Uh, we should probably pitch this show if, if people care at this point. Uh, where are we, Hyro? Uh, Marcus Played Pod? Is that our, all of our social media monikers? think
2: I think so. I mean, you're in charge of all that crap, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, that, I'm a
1: bad person being in charge of social media because I, I I do not post uh, that often. We need to get you know uh, a future co-host of the show, one of the the more positive pairs, as uh, Dave from Pop Culture Case Study. I need to put him in charge of the tweeting because that man he he likes to oh tweet. Boy. So
2: yeah, he's like he, he's got like Octo's hands or something, man. He's tweeting nonstop. So <laughs> send some of those tweets our way, you know. <laughs> do that some of that for for our little collaborative effort here. But yeah. Um, we, we're, we're all over social media I'm sure we will be Once uh, once we get up and running But uh, yeah
1: So yeah If you have any uh, suggestions uh, If there are negative reactions To this conversation That is uh, At True Bromance Film True without the E And uh, that's where you can leave that Any positive feedback Marcus played Pod That'll be it <laughs> Savage <laughs> We could
0: sing Until we ran out of words. We just strong talk a little bit about the sort of summer freedom and friendship angle and um i just wanted to mention like one movie that kind of embodies the like this is how we were when we were kids in the summer and adventuring and that's now and then which is an awesome movie where it's like women meet up as adults and they flash back to their childhood summer and it's incredibly entertaining and it has a lot of really famous actresses in it both playing the leads as adults and the leads as children and it's endlessly entertaining so highly recommend that one. Oh cool. Uh, Along the same vein although it's a bunch of dudes (laughs) which isn't that surprising is Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. I don't think they flashback I think it's all children with maybe adult voiceover I don't remember but it's definitely the childhood adventure summertime coming-of-age type of movie that you see a lot in some of the